Can he just do something about、uh, fossil fuel development that isn't,、um, yeah, like what you said, greenwashing?、Mm-hmm. Um, he really has to scale it back. And he was saying at Huntington Beach, we do need to decline our extraction of fossil fuels. But to be clear, that means we need to do it for the existing infrastructure here in California, which is massive. Hello and welcome to another episode of Latina Latino Latinx. My name is Monty Rossetti. On this episode, I get to chat with the inspiring political leader Jackie Fielder. Jackie and I talk about what Gavin Newsom needs to work on a year away from his re-election, and more importantly, Jackie tells us about other amazing candidates throughout California that really do have the general public's needs in mind. Hi, Jackie Fielder.、Uh, it is such an honor to have you here.、Um, it's been a year since you were last on a Radio Teco podcast. We talked to you when you were running for state senate, and even though the outcome of that election didn't come out the way that we all wanted it to come out,、uh, I think you did turn a lot of heads、uh, when, especially when it comes to local government and how important local government is.、Uh, how has this last year been for you on a personal and, I guess, professional level? Yeah, it's been.、Um, I can't believe it's been a year. It feels like it's taken a full year to get my bearings back、mm-hmm. from campaigning in a pandemic, and kind of like everyone else, for much of last year, I had to campaign from home, which is not. <laughs> it's not how you campaign. You got to go meet out. You got to go out and meet people. Yeah.、Um, so yeah, it's taken a minute to to really get back in the groove of things, but I was so.、Um, Ready to continue the movement and so much energy for corporate-free candidates for really、uh, using electoral politics as an onboarding for anyone to join any kind of form of organizing. So we started thinking about how are we going to continue pushing for state-level change and. It can't just happen in San Francisco. It can't even be one election.、Um, you know, there, there's a lot of issues in Sacramento and California state politics, and it's just really overlooked as a place for change. You know, this is the fifth largest economy in the world. California is, and we have so many, so many issues of justice ranging from obviously climate change and fires. To racial justice and police accountability, to healthcare, and this is also、um, supposed to be the most progressive state, and it's just not—it's not the case because corporations still have such a stranglehold on、uh, politics and the candidates that that actually get elected. So, thinking about that, we started a pack to basically myself and my campaign director Rasheen Eisner. 
Um, we started a PAC to support other corporate free candidates running anywhere in California. We really wanted to look for candidates that fulfilled three criteria. We can talk about that more, but um, started the PAC and also use it as a way to engage locally, um, doing some advocacy around like free muni, um, shelter in place hotels, um, and getting getting everyone who is ready to throw down for these same causes um, just back into the streets as safely as possible. No, I'm happy you brought up the pack, and and I think it's um, something very important. And that's honestly, personally, I became more interested in local government because of your campaign and kind of. I think everybody, you know, last year when um, Biden won, everybody was like, awesome, problem solved. And Kamala Harris, who's like a SF person. OK, cool. Yeah. We're winning like life back to, quote, normal. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of things that we're not really addressing, which are a lot of the points that you talked about and your pack is talking about. I did want to pivot really quick to Gavin Newsom, um, yeah. who um, I think he's kind of that, you know, corporate Democrat and uh, a, a poster child of hey, to the liberal uh, California, he's one of us, which is not very true. He's not really, he doesn't have anything related to me, at least. I don't have anything that can can address to what he's interested in. Um, but he also had a very interesting year. He had a recall that wasted a lot of money and time of people like you and I, uh, people that live here in California. Uh, let's talk first about the recall that happened. We're recording this uh, in October, so we're about a month and a half away from when the recall happened. Why did that recall fail? And how did Gavin Newsom win that recall? Yeah, well, to to your point about having nothing in common with him, um, yeah, that's that is the case. I mean, he he is a wine chain owner, and he represented, um, you know, a part of one of the, the wealthiest parts of the city as a supervisor, and then went on to be mayor. Um, has a, a history here in SF that uh, progressives and and people on the left here know very well his record of, um, for example, fighting healthy SF and then later claiming to have succeeded in getting it passed and whatever else. And, you know, Care Not Cash was his uh, Hallmark campaign kind of issue, which um, basically took this like very paternalistic and you know, as we see it still, uh, ongoing paternalistic approach to homelessness and homeless people. In any case, um, that's his streak. And he's very much a part of the establishment in democratic politics in California. Um, you know, bumps elbows with and is in like the family of billionaires mm -hmm. and real estate and all the all these other elite in San Francisco. So we know that in San Francisco, but you know, most, I think, in California don't. That said, um, he, he, I don't know. I, I feel like really any politician in the pandemic was going to face some sort of backlash for how things are going, whether that was from the extreme left or from the extreme, <laughs> extreme left, <laughs> maybe extreme left too, but even like progressives yeah. and um, the extreme right and even like right of center people. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of pent up, uh, honestly fascism mm -hmm. after Trump got unelected and that had to go somewhere especially in California where we're facing an affordable housing crisis and um, 
um, very visible um, homelessness. And I don't know, I, I don't think that progressives are um, the reason that he was recalled at all. I think that it was it was more just like Trump blowback and mm -hmm. and that the energy had to go somewhere. Um, but it was really a tough it was a tough year to hold him accountable for that, um, for the failed campaign promises that he hasn't lived up to, which includes single payer health care. He ran on that in 2018. And the only thing that he's done so far, well, it's changed a little bit, but um, before last month, the only thing that he had done was establish a commission, mm -hmm. which is essentially like a, a task, like a task force on single payer healthcare. And everyone knows task forces are where ideas go to die. Everyone knows that. Um, and then I do, I, I saw that he actually he actually did fulfill one um, demand of the universal healthcare movement here in California, which was to ask the federal government for a waiver. I'm not sure what the progress is on that, but in any case, single payer has not been his um, has not been his flag to wave for the entirety of his his term so far, um, and as we saw with the spill in Huntington Beach, um, California is still producing massive amounts of oil for um, for export and and whatever else. So he's approved something like 8,000 8, permits since his start of being governor. And that's in direct contrast to our supposed climate goals. Mm -hmm. Um, no one holds us accountable to those of meeting our goals by 2030. Of course, he has like the electric vehicle um, goal of making sure that we're not selling internal combustion engines beyond, I believe it's 2045. Mm -hmm. um, but even then, that might be too late. And electric vehicles is only a part of it. If we continue to drill for oil here in California, and um, even if we're having, even if we have, a, a whole, um, you know, economy and uh, lifestyle around electric vehicles, and we're still drilling. That's still just exporting our emissions elsewhere. So there's so much I can go on uh, about with Newsom, but uh, <laughs> no, that's fine. Yeah. No, I mean, well, one of the things that um, I wanted to focus on, and, and again, we can do honestly like a whole series as to why he's a very questionable uh, politician, um, but. One of the one of his newest things was uh, uh, not building drills thirty two hundred feet away from uh, hospitals, uh, schools, and houses, or something like that. And uh, there, I forget what the timeline was for when that's going to start. But you actually brought up a few dates twenty forty five. There's um, even corporations do where they're going to do like net zero mm -hmm. by twenty fifty. Yeah. Now this might be a really dumb question, but why so far in the future? Why don't they say we're in year twenty twenty one? Why don't we stop doing this in the year 2021 or in 2022 or 2023? Yeah. Why is it so far down the road? Yeah, that's not a dumb question at all. Um, you know, depending on on who you are, if you're an oil company, 2045, 2050 is a really convenient year that, <laughs> you know, pretty far away. Yeah. Um, but what the UN production gap says is that we have to decrease our fossil fuel um, uh, basically extraction seven percent every single year 
And the truth is that we're actually on a path to to increase our extraction. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, it's that's a, a huge concern in the climate justice movement. Um, on the note of that setback policy, it's a huge win for environmental justice advocates, especially who've been fighting for that for years. Mm-hmm. What it does is it prohibits oil and gas developments and fossil fuel extraction within that that um, I think it's like thirty two hundred feet or yeah. something of of schools and and other important community places. But it doesn't affect at all the developments before that time. So all those eight thousand permits, they are they still stand. Um, obviously, we still had the spill in Huntington Beach, um, and it's just really um, it's really frustrating, obviously, because you want to so celebrate the success. And same with Biden, you really want to celebrate that he has done more for the climate. Um, and push more for explicit climate policy and funding than any other president before. But that's just not how the climate works. It's mm. not like we get a cookie for doing better than what we did yesterday. Uh, there is there is a an allowance that we have to in our in our what's called the carbon budget to burn up fossil fuels. Um, so yeah, it's really it's really frustrating and Really, no no politician can call themselves like a climate advocate if they're not actively implementing policy that scales back our fossil fuel extraction and consumption for sure. I did hear a term from a panel that you were on a few days ago, the term greenwashing, which I felt was a really important term. I think the panel was more focused on corporations and all the promises that they make. And when you read through uh, exactly all these promises, they're all empty promises. And a lot of them are also made by politicians like Gavin Newsom. Um, Now, again, another silly question. We are a year away from the 2022 election, uh, which would be he's up for re-election, Gavin Newsom. What does Gavin Newsom need to do to earn your vote? Yeah, man, that's so contingent on um, who's running as well. Yeah, I, I really, again, I think um, several things. I forgot even to mention the whole eviction crisis, yes. which um, he's he's definitely fumbled on, and it's not for accident. He is beholden to the landlord lobby and the real estate lobby, who want to see. Um, the ability to kick tenants out. And and it's really unfortunate because we're still in a pandemic, technically. Like, mm-hmm. we still have the Delta variant, and there's still many more people that need to be vaccinated. And we haven't recovered economically. We really haven't. Um, but in any case, he would need to... Um, I would love to see him suspend the Ellis Act, which um, has to do with with owner move-in um, evictions. And he would also have to really fulfill and deliver on his promise for single-payer healthcare. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he would have to establish a, I, I want to support and uplift this um, idea of a, a climate transition fund for workers, fossil fuel workers, 
who will be affected by the transition to renewables and will lose their fossil fuel jobs. Um, and also like the the cities and counties that that rely heavily on those industries for their tax base. So we need a climate tra- tra- climate justice transition fund. Um, and we also need him to, gosh, can he like just can he just do something about uh, fossil fuel development that isn't, um, yeah, like what you said, greenwashing. Mm-hmm. Um, he really has to scale it back. And he was saying at Huntington Beach, we do need to decline our extraction of fossil fuels. But to be clear, that means we need to do it for the existing infrastructure here in California, which is massive. Mm-hmm. No, and, and I think a problem that we have here in the United States in general is you see it uh, red and blue. Just two, there's two parties. And again, like when Biden won last year, Everybody was like, cool, the blue guy won. So now we're all happy and and, and we can go back to our, our regular day lives. And honestly, I know people that I know uh, were upset with me because I will still post things on social media saying I don't like what Biden's doing. They're like, whoa, how do you not like what Biden's doing? He's one of us. And I'm like, no, again, just like we talked about Gavin Newsom not being relatable. Neither is is, uh, is Joe Biden. Neither is Kamala Harris. Um, but let's go back to the Daybreak Pack where you have candidates that you're you're focused on that are more relatable to us. I remember when you ran, you one of your key points was uh, you're a renter. And how many renters are currently in the California legislature? There's two. There's two. Out of how many? Uh, Out of 120. Yeah. So that's, that's and, and again, like when you look at the percentage of how many renters are in, 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 in the state, yeah. that's not really uh, the way that we want to be represented. Um, but tell us a little bit about the, the, the pack again. I know we talked about it off the top. Um, and kind of the, you know, the candidates that you have uh, moving forward with that. And again, no one, probably no one's running for governor, but there are definitely local uh, local campaigns that you're focused on. Yeah. So we support state level candidates. That's candidates who are running for our state assembly or state senate. Um, they have to fulfill three criteria, and that's rejecting corporate contributions, contributions from law enforcement, contributions from obviously fossil fuel companies and big pharma. Um opponents of single-payer health care in the the healthcare industry. And they also have to have a demonstrated record of, of community leadership, whether they're a teacher or a labor organizer or um, an advocate of some sort. We just want to see that that they are of the community and they have an, an a history of being able to step into leadership and and be able to show that they can deliver on their values of, of social justice. So the third criteria is that they need to, um, they need to obviously have alignment with our values and our policy priorities, which is single payer healthcare, which, which is police accountability, which is renters rights and building deeply affordable housing not luxury development housing. Um, they need to really be able to to stand up for that. And the the corporate contributions part is that accountability piece. Because um, it's really hard, as I said earlier, in Sacramento to advocate for these things um, if you accept contributions from the people who want to oppose those those ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, I did want to ask real quick too. Um, the word affordable housing, the phrase affordable housing, how affordable are we talking about? Because it is thrown around, and sometimes a building's is. I know Matt Haney had um, a 
a, a bill that or a, an idea that was like shot down for a building in his district that was uh, a certain amount was going to be affordable housing. How does that work? Why can't a whole building be affordable housing, especially when we're in a situation where we need affordable housing? Again, these are all probably silly questions. Uh, but since you are the expert, I wanted to ask you and see what you had to say about that. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it comes down to this pretty crazy idea that only came about during settler colonization that you need to um, pay for housing. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's what we call the commodification of housing. Mm -hmm. And in our economic system, we put building housing in the hands of private developers, um, which means that it's only you're only allocated housing to the extent that you have, you know, enough enough money to afford it. So what we really need is to completely reorient our view around housing as a human right. And to me, that's always meant um putting our money where our mouth is. That means investing in quality social housing. Doesn't necessarily mean public-private partnerships where we're subsidizing private landlords, I mean, sorry, private developers, mm. and those developers are simply maximizing their profits. It doesn't mean that. It means taking profit out of the equation. Um, it means what, what we call social housing um, actually what it does is it doesn't exclude the middle income earners. It actually integrates folks of all different kinds of socioeconomic classes. Of course, we're not talk talking about like the San Francisco wealthy elite, mm -hmm. um, uh, but it does um, have a, a principle around ensuring that housing is beautiful, decent, green, um, enjoyable, safe, clean, and affordable mm -hmm. for, for really anyone. And that it's not, it's not a marker really of, um, of social class. And those are, there are examples around the world, um, mm -hmm. for that. But, uh, unfortunately we find ourselves in a, in an economic system that, um, really just puts private developers in charge of that. And what we get is a kind of like bifurcated, um, really stratified system of housing where the people at the bottom are paying way too much for, for, I mean, everyone's paying a lot, but relatively people at the bottom are paying way too much for housing. And we have a glut of housing at the top of, of the stratosphere. We have a glut of luxury housing. We have, um, plenty of vacant units, um, and I, I always want to remind people lately that, for example, the Salesforce Tower um, and all of its, what, 61 stories, there's mm -hmm. only 100 people in that building as of last month. Uh, that's what the SF Examiner reported. And it's crazy. We have so much room for office space, so many so many tax subsidies for office space. We have so much, um, you know, we even hook them up to Hetch Hetchy to have power for their gigantic building but we don't do that for basic mm -hmm. human needs um it's really uh, a misplacement of of parties i think
Thank you. And the reason I asked that, too, was because, you know, we're talking about campaigns and, and corporate Democrats and they use terms like affordable housing and other things. But, but sometimes just by throwing these terms out, they think I'm getting that person's vote because affordable housing alone sounds like a really great thing. But there's so many other things behind the scenes that some campaigns really aren't talking about affordable housing. So yeah. thank you for, for explaining that. Um, I did actually want to focus on your one of your most recent cam campaigns that the Daybreak Pack is focusing on, Jennifer Esteen from uh, Hayward, uh, or from Ashland, I think is is her technical area, but she's uh, uh, California District Twenty, I believe. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about her and and what you know how she qualifies for for somebody to be uh, represented by the Daybreak Pack? Yeah, so she is one of three candidates so far that we've endorsed. There's Fatima Iqbal Zubair in Southern California, who's running against uh, Mike Gibson, and he's a big um, friend of like the police union lobby and the fossil fuel lobby. Um, we also have Pilar Schiavo in the San Fernando Valley, and she's an amazing nurse and uh, a veteran labor organizer and homelessness advocate. Um, she's running against a Republican, so she would be a tremendous It'd be so fun to see her win um, on a progressive platform there. And then there's Jenna Seen, who's so amazing and is challenging uh, Bill Cork in a district that surrounds Hayward. She's in an un unincorporated area. Mm -hmm. um, but she is a veteran labor organizer um, and a nurse. Uh, she qualified, I mean, quite easily. She rejects contributions from corporations. Um, from police unions and, and all the other things. And then she aligns with our platform entirely on universal healthcare, obviously. And she's a nurse. She can advocate for for that fact that the people that she sees really, really do need um, free and quality healthcare. And um, was also a key part in uh, Mental Health SF and getting that underway. And uh, is a mom. Um, would be the first, I believe, out black queer woman in the state legislature if elected. And she's challenging this guy who wrote the PG&E bailout bill. Um, so if, if anything, like this is um, this is pretty momentous. I'm I'm so excited for all of them to to really hold these uh, electeds accountable, which they're already doing just by being in the race. Mm -hmm. But also, I really do feel like people are ready to see some shakeup in Sacramento. And I'm so excited that, you know, if I decide to run again, knock on wood, and we get in there, then we'll have a whole squad to actually be able to move stuff. Um, but in any case, it really does need to be a whole effort. And mm -hmm. ideally, we would have, you know, 120 candidates. Um, but in any case, we we want to be also very intentional about who we support, and which is why these brilliant women um have been selected to be endorsed no and and you're you're creating a community uh for people that care about the community which is which is awesome which is which is great and and you know probably you know five ten years ago somebody that ran on that platform was kind of by themselves so you're creating a platform and, and like i said i know a lot of people when you ran uh last year you turned a lot of heads and, and had people in, interested in local government um and and hopefully these three candidates can continue that uh you did say something about potentially running again uh i do have to ask then 
Uh, are you going to confirm right now in this podcast that you're running for governor for uh, 2022? <laughs> no, maybe, maybe. Okay, you don't have to. Uh, no, but what, yeah, what, what's in the future for 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 Jackie Fielder? Uh, um, the next, because we do this every year apparently. Uh, so, <laughs> what am I expecting to talk to you about in a year? <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's anyone's guess. Um, I float around every single day, but I'm mainly focused right now maybe this is a cop out but focused on um i'm having a kitten next month okay okay and that's, <laughs> that's that's a big as responsibility far as my plans go um being a really good kitten mom nice um no but actually one development since the campaign is i've been in therapy and that's been so necessary and i i just feel so grateful for it i've been in it for like 10 months now i feel really privileged to be able to have the resources for that but at the same time, I really do feel like it's going to be um, it's already been a really special journey um, with my therapist and with myself and with my friends and, and family. But um, I think it's something that we don't talk about in politics or organizing. And it's actually quite crucial to us being able to be of service to the world and to share our gifts. Um, so I'm really excited to see just kind of who I am on the other side of, of more of that. And whether that's running for office or just leading in a different way or being a part of the community in a different way, I'm really, I'm really just looking forward to that and definitely focus on being a kitten mom. No, I, I appreciate that. Hopefully the kitten helps with your mental health and doesn't yeah. aggravate it in any way. Um, <laughs> yeah. But no, you're, you're completely right. I, I remember, you know, when we talked last year um, and you were going up against somebody who was a corporate Democrat and had a lot of supporters. So I can just imagine, especially with social media running a campaign, the amount of things that you must have read and it must have been very stressful. So I'm happy to hear that you're you're going through you're going through therapy and 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 it's honestly that that stigma of like the negativity towards it. Like we all need it, honestly. Yeah. Um and and like you said, if you want the best out of your politicians, they need to be clear of mind. Mm -hmm. And what's better than actually talking about these things with, you know, with a therapist or or, or people that are close to you or yeah. or whatever. So yeah. No, thank you so much, Jackie, for for being on our show here. Thank you. Uh, it was great to have you on, and good luck with your kitten. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening to Radio Teco, the podcast of El Tecolote, California's longest-running bilingual community Latino newspaper. If you enjoyed listening to this episode and are looking for more of our content, please visit our website, eltecolote.org. And if you value bilingual storytelling and would like to support our next 50 years of community journalism, please consider making a donation or sign up to volunteer.